0: with that we begin episode three welcome to the campaign diaries in this case for adventurers assemble steven is back in the home office studio with me it's good to see you good to see you too good to see you too (laughs) we have uh been talking about some things that we can finally discuss in an episode Mm, because mm -hmm. this is the first one we're recording since the visuals that came with the campaign diaries became public yeah and oh my word they turned out yeah they're
1: uh, they're wonderful. They're wonderful. My, Michael's work for for this one. I mean, the characters are just—they're so spot on. They're so well put together.
0: And, and it was such a fun process to work with him on uh, the character on the character artwork. Again, Michael Ganser, uh was the artist who drew all five. I guess I'll say six of the characters that you see uh, in the artwork yeah, of the adventures ensemble, <laughs> <laughs> who we have not met in the story yet, but we oh. will. Pact is coming soon. You have our five main characters uh, rendered in wonderful detail. Ada with a magic item she's going to get later prominently displayed, but we do see her uh, artifice sword on her back. Uh, You also have Delilah running out in front of Ada and in front of Gorg with her rapier at her belt, a dagger extended. She also has a carrot (laughs) attached to her belt. (laughs) It's a golden carrot. Then uh, you have Gorg with just... All of his brawn and the bluish tattoos showing on his arms. Uh, armor, his helmet, carrying the great club with the great axe and hammer also equipped, although he also does not have the hammer yet. That's to come later as well. Then we have Siv rendered with her sword at her belt and then going with a dual-wielding approach with a couple of blades extended out uh, from each of her arms on the right side of the logo. And then in the back... Of all of the f- of the five, Noreen was the first one where as soon as Michael sent back the this is the concept, I had no changes. <laughs> yeah, as- no, absolutely. Noreen arrived all... fully formed, and it's just like, oh my gosh, she looks perfect. Yeah, like, we, there's the hardly anything he we does. need to change. Yeah, all the character amazing.
1: work he does is just really, really wonderfully done. And we've seen a couple of other characters that he's done since then, and they've all been just brilliant. So I'm, I it's amazing. It's so great to have so many talented people in our spheres. It
0: makes me happy. And at the table. And at the table. Because Michael's playing a character who we will meet uh, later down the line. In the distant future. (laughs) (laughs) If we're going one episode a month for each campaign, (laughs) yes. Yes, very much so. So we are going back to when this party consisted of only five characters. We are still in Murktown. And I need to make a couple of addendums after our last recording because I realized there were some things that I talked about that I said happened during session two that actually happened during session three that said those changes were towards the end of the episode where some of the details maybe became a little bit more muddled as I was trying to remember okay exactly what happened when pretty much everything in that episode is right the only changes are they actually spent one more session at first level this is that session Mm. and they also on a related note didn't fight the animated objects until this session not session 2 i didn't throw one battle at them and then another because after you complete a boss fight like they did against the emperor of bones what does the party do next take a long rest
1: yeah that's what you do anytime you have a boss fight mm-hmm. because it doesn't matter what level you are <laughs> because those boss fights are designed to kill you yeah and if so you survive you need that long rest
0: party has depleted their resources in desperate need of some healing, and they return to the Loaded Buckler, our tavern where we began the campaign. So this is where we get, actually, our first long rest of the party, kind of getting a sense of, okay, how we're going to lay this out. Uh, they do have Siv in the party, who, as an elf, can go into her trance for four hours and then cover the no rest of the night watch rest that's needed. Yep, keeps things simple. And so she's... In her trance from roughly 2 to 6 a.m., whilst someone else, or rather, while two other characters can each do a two-hour shift, and then Siv covers the rest of it, and they have their full rest by noon. The morning passed without incident, and at noon, everyone uh, gets up in their rooms. I think they did get a couple different chambers in the loaded buckler. And they make their way down to the bar. They end up speaking uh, with an older bartender who... uh, did not have the night shift, so he's here the following day, an old human man named Jalar. And they do see Malons coming in a little bit later. They try to get some more information out of both of them about uh, two of the more nefarious characters they met to this point, uh, Spike and Thestro. And they aren't able to get too much information out of either of them. I suspect the checks weren't high enough. Then... They see Malins, the owner of the Loaded Buckler, speaking to the group of orcs that Gorg met in the first session. Ah, yes, the ones that
1: taught him how to gamble, or or at least helped him remember how to gamble.
0: Yeah, that has been something he has been quite good at, or at least has done quite regularly throughout his year of his life that he remembers. He recognizes the group; the party recognizes this group of orcs from the dice game where. They played against Gorg, and Gorg won his Gauntlets of Flame. And this time around, those orcs have come back with some enormous piece of meat that they want to use the Loaded Buckler's kitchen to cook, and Malin's is (laughs) having none of it. So that argument is going on (laughs) that morning. The party returns their keys to Malin's, have a short conversation with them, and they depart. So this first session, where, again, there's not a clear this is your next quest is kind of a good time to get to know what the party's priorities are. And uh, after the way the last mission played out, uh, it's decided they're going to check in on the one of the five children who was in the worst shape after being stuck in the shrine. Ah, Yeah, that's a good party. The one who was was unconscious and is being cared for by the temple. So uh, Delilah manages to find a flower shop and then talks the owner into giving her a free bouquet That they bring with them. uh, Big enough that she even needed help to carry it. Melissa rolled a natural 20. Nice. (laughs) So the bunny gets a bunch of flowers. They find uh, Finn, the young boy, uh, being cared for by Temple Acolytes. They talk with Rilo as well as Gior, one of the Acolytes. It's expressed that they don't want the party to linger because they don't want the young boy to get uh, too excited. But they have a brief conversation with him and realize, okay, he still doesn't remember why he went down there in the first place. We recall Thestro's words about the memory charm. Here's our scenario.
1: Evil wizard. Sending kids into dangerous places. How dare he?
0: Yes, indeed. Rilo wants to go back down into the shrine, mainly because she wants to replace the lock on the big stone door where where the party found the ritual book, because she doesn't like the idea that the only key for that room is, as she put it, in the hands of a bloodthirsty opportunist referring to spike
1: it mercenary work gets such a bad rap by lawful good characters <laughs> look man you're just get you're just getting paid to do the thing that you're supposed to do so what you take a couple of extra pieces of important arcane knowledge for yourself on the side it's uh, you know it's let bygones be bygones but no
0: because paladin and because some history, that's how uh, we get into when they make their next uh, journey into the shrine. Now, before they go down there, the party is kind of assessing the area outside of it. The shrine is, again, underneath the ruins of this old keep. Gorg and Delilah notice a few puffs of smoke behind some of the stonework. And they find a man with black hair and a black mustache sitting there smoking a pipe. And he is willing to offer a job to the party and tells Gorg and Delilah that he'll meet them at uh, the loaded buckler. He seems a little bit frightened at first as Gorg is a big and scary fellow and is telling him to go away. They don't particularly trust him. That's mainly because the visual I used for this character uh, was Tom Savini, (laughs) a (laughs) a young Tom Savini. Oh. Yeah, so he looks a little scary. Yeah, just a little. This makes sense. This character actually is pulled out of the module where we got the venom crawlers and is a character named Gordo. Uh. So in that module, he's down there. So me introducing him here was starting the process to potentially get him down there. Ah, yeah. At this point, the party is in an interesting situation of going back in to a dungeon that they've already explored, that they've already defeated the big bad for that they've, in theory, dealt with most of the dangerous elements for... We already
1: cleared this dungeon. We don't need to pay attention to what we're doing anymore, right?
0: Or or they still went in with an abundance of caution. And as they... They they knew, okay, which hallways to avoid because of traps, which route to go to potentially avoid the Venom Crawlers. They went basically on a route that they had not explored previously and found uh, a... Kind of, I guess, for the scale of the shrine, kind of a mid-sized chamber with an old, long-ago-stopped-running fountain in the middle of it. They investigate it briefly. I think they found a piece of obsidian with a spider symbol carved into it, which was kind of a a warning.
1: (laughs) Don't touch, don't touch, don't touch.
0: Actually, Ada now has that. Oh, good grief. And uh, as well as an old uh, potion of invisibility that was hidden behind... uh, an altar in the Emperor's Old Chamber, although with how old it looked, I don't think anyone has used it because it might not be good anymore.
1: It's probably past its sell-by date. Yeah,
0: very much so. The conversation they have with Rilo as they continue down gives them more information as to why she doesn't like Spike, aside from the obvious. So he carries a couple of daggers that are magical. One that you gave him because you gave it to me and we'll get to it later Uh-oh. on in the Stroud campaign. <laughs> but the, the other one, the blink,
1: the blink dagger. That is correct. That's a very useful little dagger.
0: Yes, it is. And then the other one is one that I found online called the Blackheart dagger, where you can cast darkness non magically. And it's because of that effect and the circumstances surrounding the death of the previous head of the temple order that Rilo suspects spike was involved so the head of the order was a paladin named Zora, and then her sister Sylvia took her body away from the temple, but has not been back in months. So Rilo relays this information. She carries the amulet and shield that normally would be carried by the head of the order. And then eventually she smashes the lock on the stone door while Siv stands guard and the rest of the group searches through their previously undiscovered rooms. Now, the last chamber in the shrine reveals its danger before they even get to it, and it floods out. The way the module did it, I tweaked it. The chamber that they're approaching, the last one, begins to flood the shrine with water as they approach, and it's like, okay, we need to get out of here because we don't want to drown. In the original module, it's a trap where if you open these stone boxes the room begins to fill with water. And given that maybe even this early, I was aware of a possibility of, hey, we might want to use this again. I made it a chamber that floods at high tide. Mm. So. Oh
1: yeah, that's where Aelman wants to put the secret harbor. <laughs> <laughs> there you later, go. Later, yes. later, dear listener. You'll you'll hear all of Aelman's terrible, terrible ideas.
0: The chamber begins to flood. Everybody's making athletics and acrobatics checks to get out of there as fast as humanly possible once they get past a certain point uh the entrance into chamber one from chamber two so coming back into it uh rilo and gorg use their large weapons to bring down an archway and stem the flow of the water from getting any further and they find their way out of the shrine they clean themselves up uh back at the temple i think this was actually when they ended up talking to the young boy get their gear back and then bid farewell to rilo to return the loaded buckler and have their conversation with gordo the man with the mustache and the pipe who said he wanted to talk with them later so they descend from the main level of the loaded buckler where the party has been on multiple occasions down into the back room in the kitchens but the space is entirely empty there are no other people present including where the kitchen is actively preparing food it is enchanted this is something that Mallance tries to keep under wraps, but it is constantly creating food and drink for the menu, and so he's able to run the place with a relatively small staff, at least as far as the back is concerned. It you just know, needs to be distributed.
1: Cut down that overhead cost. <laughs> it's, it's great when you don't have to have anybody actually cooking. So
0: Gordo uses this relatively cordoned off location as a place to tell the party that he is speaking to them on behalf of the magistrate. He does have some connections to the Monarchs, the local criminal syndicates. Mafia. Yes. The mob. But he wants to work against them for the magistrate and try to identify corrupt guards at the docks who are allowing contraband into the city. This is when the party gets to get creative in trying to assess, okay, what guards are letting through contraband? How do we figure this out? So a couple of highlights. They investigate a few of the ships... The person who manages to get closest to some of the guards is Gorg, who uses his disguise kit. And this was the first <laughs> time Larissa got to break this out. <laughs> the barbarian has a disguise kit. That's yes. that's funny. And so, uh, Larissa proceeded to have the disguise be Gorg is in drag. <laughs> oh goodness! And the barbarian. <laughs> I think the first check she made or one of the first trying to act natural, she crit failed. So the barbarian just goes ass over tea kettle. (laughs) It ends up drawing more attention as they're trying to assess, okay, which guards are legit and which ones are in the pockets of the monarchs. They eventually see uh, someone offloading some merchandise, go past some of the guards, and... They know that the monarchs traffic in magic items, so they're trying to see, okay, this guy wasn't searched. Did he get something through? The party member who ends up going after that is Noreen. She turns invisible. Goes away from the docks a little bit, follows him down an alley towards a warehouse, and takes the opportunity to investigate his cart and finds a couple of uh, magic items. One is an arrow of switching. You fire it, and then you end up in that location. And the other is a Magical key-looking device called a lock melter. Insert it into lock, melts apparatus, and boom! Yeah, you're in. Wow! Surprise! Inventive name. Yes. So, again, magic items I found online, and showing very clearly. Hey, the guards who let this guy through are legit. So the party has some intel they can take back to Gordo. So the last part of this session, I did describe in a bit of detail during our last episode Mm, yeah this is when they make their way to the magic magic shop shop with all of the animated objects and really for everyone except for actually really for everybody this is their first time getting to meet dolhoff the magic shopkeeper Mm. eventually because he was met in the background when we were trying to bring ada back to life last time and the rest of the party outside of civ hasn't gotten the chance to meet him yet. So this is the first time the full party is going to meet Dolhav. However, when they arrive at his shop, they find uh, a metal owl automaton named Argo. Should have
1: been named Archimedes.
0: (laughs) Or a variation. (laughs) And just tells them the master will be along shortly, as he kind of flutters in the opening chamber. Uh, The party window shops for a little bit looking around. And basically, I let enough time pass to the point where they realize... Shopkeeper's still coming. And that was their cue. Okay, something's wrong. They go back through the mirror enchantment into the other version of the shop in the other city. So we go from Murktown to Orbia. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. And that is where the animated objects module, again, shout out to DM Dave, takes place. So this is where they fight the set of chairs, the animated bed, the swarm of coins. While throwing some love DM Dave's way, one thing I want to make sure I reference is that he has an entire series called Dungeons and Lairs, and each one features some sort of different. Big Bad comes with a map and is usually scaled from multiple different levels. So what your party runs into at level one, me throwing the coin swarm, the animated bed, and the set of chairs at the party, there were even a couple other items that they could have run into that I did not use. Was the level 1 version of a module that could get significantly uglier depending on when in a campaign you would want to drop something like this in. And the map layout is three levels. Ground floor of the Magic Shop, of course, has a customer entrance, but then it's attached to what is basically a residence for the shopkeeper. And I decided to have it set up so that the mirror that the party used to come in was on the second floor. That uh, caused me to make a few decisions about layout because I realized, wait a second, this is happening at the shop in Orbia, which, given the whole mirror image thing, means the shop in Murktown is actually the opposite layout of this. And that really hadn't mattered too much uh, as we played out a bunch of other things in Theater of the Mind, but I wanted to make sure I had that in my own brain as just, okay, this is the way this is laid out. For future reference. So the chair fight happens on the second floor. They go up a spiral staircase. Into the bed chamber where they fight the animated bed. Where they fight the coin swarm. I realized as I was going through this module in preparation. Like in terms of scale. You could make this module very deadly. If you throw this at an 8th level party. Instead of a 1st or a 3rd or a 5th I believe. Then the greed swarm is replaced by a horde golem which is terrifying. There was an animated flying hammer that I ended up not using. There's a flying shield at higher levels. There's an animated fireplace that could come to life, an animated mannequin, an animated piano, a lot of terrifying stuff. And again, so many of the dungeons and lairs can be organized to make it so that whatever level your party is coming in at, you can adjust up or down accordingly to make it so you don't wreck your party. They do finally manage to pierce the cursed coin that's causing the swarm along with the rest of the objects to come to life. Gorg has been incapacitated by the animated bed but is brought back (laughs) uh, to his full faculties after the enchantment is over. Argo... Came flying in with a bag full of healing potions just to make it so the party would survive this fight. Very because nice. anything scaled for level one is walking on a knife. Yeah, edge. no, absolutely. We've yeah. said
1: it before. Level one is dangerous. Yeah, you've got so so few hit points to play around with, and arguably, especially in your spell cla- spell casting classes, you don't have a lot of damage output yet either.
0: Mm-hmm. So d- the level one is dangerous. Yeah. Very. Absolutely. And I think if I had targeted anyone other than Gorb with the animated bed, that could have been a situation where, okay, now we're trying to (laughs) revive another party member. And they stopped the swarm. The objects returned back to normal. Everyone in the party is now back to being upright, and we will pick up next session in a magic shop in Orbia, talking to Dolhov, and... He is going to figure out how he can repay the party for saving his shop. This was an opportunity to load up with some magic items and goodies, as well as to get some new information in a new city and with some objectives still ahead further down the line, because Orbia is where they met Gorvet Icefell and his yeah. boss, Orner Weros, who rescued Ada. And they know they potentially have a mission waiting for them mission with him. And again, this is ways in which I kind of took three modules. Spider's Ew, which is the setting for Town, the Shrine of the Emperor Bones, which is our opening dungeon, and Flight of the Predator, which we'll be getting to in future episodes and have these all woven together as our low-level campaign.
1: Yeah, awesome. You do know why the owl should have been named Archimedes, right? Of course, yeah. Samwise and I were watching the Disney Sword in the Stone Mm. earlier, and uh, Merlin's talking owl is named Archimedes. Archimedes is very entertaining mm-hmm. in that movie, and Sam Samwise thinks that the grouchy old flying fat owl is the best part of the movie. So there you go. That's why it needed to be named Archim- Archimedes. Oh my
0: word! To Bermuda. Uh, Blow
1: is, me to Bermuda. That's such a good movie. Where did Where did he go? Oh no! To Bermuda, <laughs> I guess. Oh my word.
0: One of the fun parts of this for me as we're going along is we've now spent a decent amount of time in Murktown in the campaign some 40 sessions later. Yeah. And so I'm describing in vague detail locations and interactions that will definitely be getting fleshed out as we go further along.
1: It's it's very entertaining because I'm like, oh, yeah, I've been there. Just not there yet. This is how early the seeds were planted. Right. Yeah. And Gordo I was like, he was dead. I was No, he wasn't. We, we met him. And he's trying to get elements working with him, too. At, at when we finally meet him again, doing almost the same thing, I think. But we'll get to that at some point. Uh, so. It'll be fun continuing on. And he's seeing all of the, all of the little seeds get pulled back into the, the later sessions.
0: Thank you for listening. Please leave a review. Give a rating. Subscribe and share with your friends from wherever you get your podcasts, especially if they play D&D. It all helps Storytelling Breakdown reach more people and grow our community. Check out the SB blog and past episodes at storytellingbreakdown.com, and you can find us on Facebook and Instagram and reach out to our team at info at storytelling-breakdown.com.
1: Our theme music is by Kurt Remke. Our logo is by Daniel Church, with campaign diary logos provided by Michael Ganser and Jeremy Stroop. Our podcast is hosted wherever you get your podcasts by John Dawkins and Wayne Shaw Productions.
0: Everyone has a story. These are some of our favorites. And this has been a Storytelling Breakdown Campaign Diary. Shout Productions. Wayne Shout!